Welcome to Light On, Light Through, Episode 62, Star Trek, Reborn, Reset, Resplendent. And I'm talking, of course, about the new Star Trek movie. My wife Tina and I saw it last night at 7 p.m. For once in our life, we were the first people to see a movie because 7 p.m. on Thursday, May 7th, is when the movie opened in the United States. I guess other people in other parts of the world did see it a little sooner. But we were right there here in New York, and it was fabulous. Let me give you a little historical context and background about Star Trek. Since its birth in our popular culture in 1966 on NBC television, Star Trek has led a remarkable life. Canceled after three seasons, right, unbelievable, but canceled after three seasons due to an insufficiently large audience of which my wife, then my girlfriend, and I were devotedly among, Star Trek went on to break the hold of network television with a series of series beginning with Star Trek The Next Generation in the 1980s that went directly into successful syndication. As I pointed out in my essay how Star Trek liberated television, and you can find a link for that at lightonlightthrough.com, Star Trek's success in syndicated first-run showings was, in retrospect, the beginning of television entertainment on cable and the Internet, which is still burgeoning today. It was the beginning of the end of network dominance of television. Along the way, Star Trek had some of the best time travel stories, including City on the Edge of Forever, that was written by Harlan Ellison in the original series, and Yesterday's Enterprise in the Next Generation. Now, keep that in mind, time travel and Star Trek, which also had some of the best humans meet alien stories ever told. And I truly believe that when we eventually get beyond our solar system with faster-than-light travel in centuries to come, who knows, maybe decades, we'll still be inspired by Star Trek as we navigate our way through the cosmos. Now, Star Trek also inspired other works in popular culture, including a whole bunch of movies, most of which were not as good, not even close, to the best of Star Trek television. This is the challenge that J.J. Abrams and his colleagues took up when they set out to make a new Star Trek movie. They decided to make a movie about the original crew and characters, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Uhura, Sulu, Chekhov, before and during their first meeting up on the Enterprise. Now, a movie about Star Trek Academy detailing some of these budding relationships had been talked about for decades. Abrams could have made such a movie, and it would have no doubt been excellent, a real delight for the fans and for everyone. Instead, J.J. Abrams decided to do something better. The reason, I'm sure, is that he didn't want to be locked into telling the same stories we already saw on television all those years ago, once again now on the big screen, if this movie succeeded. 
nor did J.J. Abrams want to be confined to filling in the gaps of what we already know about Kirk, Spock, and everyone else on the Enterprise. So, Abrams did something very different indeed. And here the story of the new Star Trek begins. But let me first give you a warning. If you, if you haven't seen the new Star Trek movie, be advised that you're going to get some spoilers in what I'm going to say to you below. All right, here we go. The movie begins as Kirk's father dies at the hands of Romulans, just as Kirk's mother pregnant with James T. Kirk, escapes in a shuttle. The father has been captain for all of 12 minutes. Some 25 years later, James Tiberius Kirk and Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy do meet up at Starfleet Academy. Uhura, whom Kirk has unsuccessfully flirted with, is there too. And of course, so is Spock, who is ahead of Kirk and puts him to a famous test. But the Romulans attack again, this time planet Vulcan. Starfleet sends out a whole bunch of ships, including the Enterprise, with Captain Pike in command. If Captain Pike sounds familiar, he was in the pilot of the original Star Trek series, brought back in a great two-part episode called The Menagerie. And Spock is the science officer. By the time they get to planet Vulcan, though... Christopher Pike is in Romulan hands, and despite the best efforts of Kirk and Sulu and Spock, now in command, Planet Vulcan is destroyed, and along with it, Spock's mother. Wait a minute. Vulcan destroyed? But didn't we see the planet numerous times in various episodes of various series of Star Trek? And didn't we see Spock's mother, too? Of course we did. So, what's going on? Well, what's going on is J.J. Abrams, in the sharp script written by Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman, all three of current Fringe fame, are giving us a splendid time travel story, Shades of Lost. We get this spelled out to us in detail when young Kirk meets old Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy, who explains that Romulans killed Kirk's father after being whipped back in time from a future in which old Spock failed to save the Romulan home world. And old Spock has been pulled back through time, too. Now, I admit, if I were a sufficiently versed fan, maybe I would have noticed at the beginning that this was somehow another Star Trek universe, not the one we have seen on television and in theaters and read in books all of those years, because in those stories, no one ever said a word about Kirk's father dying a few seconds after he was born. But Planet Vulcan Destroyed was more than enough to wake even me up that we were seeing something very different and very daring here in which everything is new, to some lesser or greater extent, except old Spock, who has seen everything that we have seen on the screens over the years. 
Young Spock, smartly played by hero Zachary Quinto, is also a new Spock, a Spock who has lost his mother and his planet, just as the new Kirk, perfectly played by Chris Pine, lost his father. And young Spock, call him Spock 2, now lives in the same version of reality, call it Universe 2, as does old Spock, call him Spock 1, who actually in the screen credits is called Spock Prime, which is another way of saying Spock 1. There are other nice differences. Spock 2 has a romantic relationship with Uhura, who's given a winning, sassy, refreshing performance by Zoe Saldana. But McCoy, wonderfully played by Carl Urban, you may remember him from Lord of the Rings, is just as sarcastically funny as he should be. Simon Peck Scotty is wonderful, has real energy. John Cho Sulo is excellent, and so is Anton Yelchin's Chekhov. They're all fine and satisfyingly in character and ambience, though poor Chekhov, only 17 years old in the movie, and on the Enterprise a little earlier than he was in the original television series, is still stuck with that laughable Russian accent. Not everything was perfect in the movie by any means. I thought there was a little bit too much of a deliberate attempt to uh, put in a few trappings from Star Wars, you know, the now perennial bar scene, uh, in this case with James T. Kirk and Uhura when they first meet and some alien sitting between them. Uh, There was uh, an homage, a bit of an homage to Battlestar Galactica with debris floating in space. That was okay, but uh, I thought the movie could have done without those. But in general, J.J. Abrams has done the seemingly impossible, and he's done it with style and savvy. He's given us a genuinely new Star Trek from the very beginning with a genuinely new story and even given us a witness to the original that we all grew up with to safeguard what we remember seeing on television and in movies. An original in the person of the original, older Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy. I'm sure, more sure now than I ever was, that this story will live long and prosper indeed. Athens, 2042 A.D. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left, again, into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Sierra had always done everything for the thrill. She ripped the paper in half then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Entertainment Weekly says the plot to save Socrates is challenging fun. 
The New York Daily News says it's a Da Vinci-esque thriller. And Curled Up with a Good Book says Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. The Light on Light Through Podcast. And that's the sweet music of our promo suite. And you're going to hear promos from Mike Thinks News, the savviest podcast in town. You're going to hear from the night guy in Israel. The Sean Farrell's patio book, my first novel, The Silk Code. We're just about out of time. I look forward to talking to you next time. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy. the Mike Thinks Podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks Podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. The time in Israel is uh, two minutes after midnight. Your life is ticking away, moment by moment. Your coffee is getting cold. The time in Israel is... 41 minutes after midnight, and that's true, by the way. Hi there. Do you think this world is surreal enough? Join me for an exploration of the most surreal aspects of this world on a podcast gone horribly wrong. Interviews with creative people, 100-word stories, short essays, and much, much more. Find me at nightguy.guidefeed.com Come and join the fun, and may you never have to listen to music you don't like. Did you hear the? The Locus Award-winning novel by Paul Levinson comes to life in this free podcast novel. Journey into the ancient world, witness the wonder of ages past. Join Phil D'Amato in a struggle against forces both ruthless and unseen. Visit www.thesilkcode.blogspot.com to learn more about the author and the novel. And subscribe today at patiobooks.com.